We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Can LaVisca Chenault turn things around? Will Cordaro Patterson keep up his top six RB pace? And who are guys we like this weekend? We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Zachary Kruger, a contributor at Rotoviz and NBC Sports Edge. Anything else I need to throw in there, my friend? Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm everywhere now, Dave. I, I, I'm scattered across a thousand places. Rotoviz, NBC Sports Edge. I do a little bit at 444.com as well. So, so a little bit of everything right now. Even off to the side, I'm charting. Uh, I'm charting games for PlayerProfiler.com as well to help make ends meet here as I chase this full-time fantasy football gig over these last several months. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm stretched across everywhere, but uh, definitely Rotoviz, definitely NBC Sports Edge. Well, I am. Thrilled to have you, not just because I promised the listeners that we would have a guest for this episode so that it wouldn't just be me, but yes. uh, people may not know this about you. Um, you fall asleep on a nightly basis listening to episodes of Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> and as a result of that, I have found I you to be not- one of the more compelling <laughs> figures, figures in the fantasy space to talk to. <laughs> yeah, I remember this conversation and you told me that you're going to bring it back up. The way to we talked for like a good half hour before we went on the show. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that you're mentioning this right now is just perfect. But yes, back in um back in 2013, I started watching the the classic Cheers TV show. It was on Netflix. Um and I have probably since that time in 2013, I've probably watched and or listened to Cheers about 
eight to 10 times all the way through season to season, which there's 11 seasons of cheers. So it's, it's a lot. And now um, it's kind of something that just relaxes me. Sometimes I fall asleep listening to something. If I'm ever lying awake and my wife is already asleep, I'll put that on as something to kind of like soothe me to bed. Uh, there's, there's nothing quite like Norm Peterson and Cliff Glavin having a conversation over a beer to put you to sleep. Uh, but I do, I, I do it. Um, and I freaking love cheers. Cheers is like one of my favorite shows of all time. I wish I watched it more than I listened to it but it's great either way so uh, great great pool there dave cave and i'm oh, very impressed yeah. with you well i should mention too that uh you are currently <laughs> doing a show on the rotoviz network called waiver wire rider which i like yeah. the name of but i would like to see you incorporate into your your repertoire at some point a show that has cheers built into the name I should talk to Colin Kelly about that. He actually has sent me over like the, uh, the audio and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we can necessarily do a cheers musical theme because that might be copyright. I'm sure, but I should try to find a way between now and the end of the season to jam in something cheers related before the end of the season. That would be great. And now that the cat's out of the bag, I can do it. And people who listen to the shows won't be surprised um, when they hear something pop up. That's a, that's a very good idea. Well, I like that a lot. You could do something like the cliff Clavin you know, wire out of the week or stuff like that. Is it Clavin Craven? I actually don't know. It's Clavin. C-L-A-V-I-N. I could, I could do something to the effect of Cliff Clavin. For those who don't listen to the show, he's kind of, he's, he's a mail carrier, but he's also like the bar trivia junkie. So he's always got random facts. He's throwing out. There's actually a great episode where people have, cliff upset because they're more interested in these trivia facts that are written on napkins and they are and the cliff and then they are in the trivia that cliff gives them on a day-to-day basis it's a great episode but i could do something like that where it's like you know uh, the clavin trivia question of the week who is and i'll ask at the beginning and at the end of the show maybe i'll answer it. that's good dave maybe i'll jam that in there i appreciate that all right on that <laughs> note because we're now like four and a half minutes in i should probably get us yeah. to football before i lose any more listeners than I have in the last couple of days. My Twitter followers have dropped and this show hasn't even aired yet. So we're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's the, is it time to panic sound effect? And I want to talk to you about the Visca Chenault. Mm-hmm. At this point in time, the Jaguars receiving core should be flowing through Chenault and Marvin Jones. Mm-hmm. Even when the target volume has been there, we have not really seen Chenault be able to put things together. On top of that, not getting the creative usage, in my opinion, that a lot of people hoped that we would see from him. There's been a lot of better options out there on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. What do we think for him the rest of the season? Does he turn things around? So there have been a lot of uh, other options for the Jaguars have been going to besides the LaVisca Schnott. I'm going to get to that in just one second. But before I do, you know, I can't answer any questions before I have a sip of this bad boy real quick. Oh, which nice. is, as you know, Dave, the Coca-Cola coffee mixture. So let me grab a quick sit, swig of this real quick. Yep. As I know you love it. And now let's get into that question. But really to answer that question, I kind of want to point out a couple of things I saw earlier this week on Twitter. Um, one one Twitter handle out there in the fantasy football community, community is Lindy Lyons. Um, I hope I'm saying that correctly. I think you know who she is. I'm, uh, we've 
We've seen her around for a, a while now. I actually did a, a draft with her, a mock draft earlier this offseason. She posted on Twitter that the Jaguars were the only team in the modern NFL era to have not made a field goal through the first five weeks of the season, which is just absolutely mind-blowing to me because you think of field goals as kind of like, you know, the thing that offenses kick when they fail on drives and they're close enough to score, but they didn't quite get there. That's actually real. I went back and I looked at it and the Jaguars have only attempted four field goals this season. They've missed them all and they've not even attempted one inside of 40 yards. So I actually don't know what's more embarrassing. The fact that they haven't made a field goal through the first five weeks or the fact that they can't even get close enough to score often enough to attempt field goals under 40 yards. Uh, the Jaguars this year have only scored 12 touchdowns. They're averaging 2.4 touchdowns per game. And then on top of that, they're 28th in points per game at 18.6. Uh, this entire offense is just a disaster. And I'd, I'd like to, in, on one hand, answer the questions as they specifically maybe are relevant to Chenault. But I think the real question I just have at this point in time is what's going on with Jacksonville? Um, Urban Meyer thinks that Carlos Hyde is still deserving of touches. Tavon Austin is out there running around on the field. I caught some some pictures of you know the Jaguars in the red zone the other day on on the red zone network. It must have been. I'm surprised they don't charge extra to watch that because they're never there. Uh, that's premium content. But um, I just I, I don't have any confidence in Lavisca Chanel. I don't have any confidence in Urban Meyer. I, I'm very concerned that we're going to be waiting for a new coaching regime in 2022 to hopefully unlock uh, Lavisca Chanel next year because I have a hard time believing that Urban Meyer is making it out of year one under this current deal and situation that he's in. So um, I'd like to see him turn things around. I think he is tremendous with the ball in his hand. He's a very physical runner. I'm just not sure that this offense or that this coaching staff knows or cares enough to know what it takes to get LaVisca Chenault with the ball in his hand and to make things happen with him. I think he looks like the best player on the field whenever he does get the ball, but how am I supposed to bank on this, on this coaching staff to make the right decisions and, and on and off the field, Dave. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, at this point, no touchdowns for LaVisca Chenault. None. None, which is not good. None. One performance uh, approaching 100 yards, which was 99 in his <laughs> only game um, this year where we saw significant fantasy points, and that was 17 against the Bengals in week four. Mm-hmm. Went one for three against the Titans. Uh, did manage 58 yards, but the problem really is it does not look like things are coming together from an expected points perspective, um, he is ranked 44 among wide receivers in expected points per game and hasn't been efficient. And when you're looking at a team that is not getting into scoring range, that isn't using him wisely, that the odds of him becoming more efficient on those expected points per game are just not great. So I think that the answer here is basically, yeah, it is probably time to start panicking on LaVisca Chenault. Let's, yeah, and, yep. and the worst part of it too, I was just going to say, the worst part of it too is we kind of even allowed ourselves to get more excited about Chenault because of the off-season reports of Meyer not being wild about DJ Shark. So not only did Chenault not quite see the volume that we were hoping for um, while Shark with health, was healthy, but now in his first game without Shark, which I believe was last week against the Titans, correct? And Chenault only had three targets. That's a season low. So in the in the time where we expect that Chenault's going to go off, he actually has the fewest targets he's had on the season, three, and he caught one pass for 58 yards against the Titans. It was It was not good. Yeah, no, I mean, it really wasn't. And you are correct. That was the first game without him. So you would think yeah. that the team was making it a priority to go and get him the ball that we would have seen that start to manifest 
in that game. And it's not like they were playing a defense that was particularly adept at taking players out of the game or limiting wide receivers. So, you know, (laughs) right. This was the same defense that allowed like 50 plus fantasy points to uh, Jets wide receivers, I believe. And Zach Wilson, who has not quite lit the world on fire. Yeah. So let's let's pivot off of (laughs) Chanel. And let's get to a player that has come out of the gate firing, actually a fairly similar type player. And that is Cordero Patterson, who right now, I believe in some leagues is the RB three. Thanks to some big games, lots of targets, lots of receiving touchdowns. Hey man, we at the site have been talking about the fact that this guy probably is one of those perfect players to use in a hybrid type of running back role, or even just plug back in there as a running back. We've seen it manifest. The question really is though, does this carry forward? And I'm not asking you, are we expecting him to be putting up, you know, 25 plus points a game, but are we mm-hmm. expecting him to look like a RB one, maybe even top six running back rest of the season? So I think that, Cordero Patterson can be a RB one. I think he can be a top 12 running back, excuse me for the rest of the season. I'm not sure that I'm confident in him being, I don't think he's going to maintain his top three, which is where he's currently at right now. I I think even anywhere in the top six is a little bit too bullish on him. Um, We know that Christian McCaffrey is going to probably be back at some point in time. He's currently out right now. He's, one of the players behind Patterson, Aaron Jones has been very solid. He's also behind Patterson. Um, Eckler has been solid. I think he's ahead of Patterson, actually, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's two. Derrick Henry is one. And then Ezekiel Elliott's also been decent. So there's a couple guys who are behind Patterson who I think could outperform him down the stretch based on what we've all currently seen so far. But then you mentioned the expected points earlier on with um, LaVisca Chenault. I was looking at expected points for um, Patterson as I was researching this question a little bit. And right now he's currently the running back 11 in expected points. So because we know that we also know that if he's RB three right now, that means that he's drastically outperforming those expectations, which is true. He's a RB two in fantasy points over expectation with 31.1. If you want a fun fact here, the cliff Clavin fun fact of the day, Mike Davis actually has more expected fantasy points at 81.9 than quarter. Patterson does this year at 70.7. Mike Davis has been incredibly inefficient. He's struggled in all facets of the game. I don't think he has a rushing touchdown yet. So, what I envision with Cordero Patterson going forward, knowing that he's RB11 and expected fantasy points, it kind of tells me that the volume is not quite there compared to some of these other guys we're looking to compare him against. I would expect a little bit of regression for Patterson in the coming weeks. I don't know that we can expect this insane amount of efficiency to continue going forward, but just because he's not going to be top three, just because he's not going to be top six doesn't mean I think that he can't be um, a a top 12 running back. Other guys who are behind them right now in terms of expected fantasy points are guys like DeAndre Swift, Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, and Jonathan Taylor. I think a decent portion of them will go ahead of uh, Patterson by the time the season is over, assuming they all stay healthy. So I think that'll slide Patterson back a little bit, but I also don't think that someone like Mike Davis is going to be, um, you know, usurping Patterson anytime soon, even though he does have an insane amount of expected fantasy points. I would expect Mike Davis to probably lose some touches, maybe even to someone like Wayne Gallman going forward, but some of these other guys who we know are stars, who we know are studs to eventually surpass Patterson, even if it's just by volume alone, I think he's going to be efficient enough to be a top 12 running back. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. When I look at Patterson and the way that the Falcons have been operating, <laughs> I think it's perfectly fair to expect that we're going to continue to see him hovering somewhere, maybe around eight rushing attempts a game 
and a target volume that's probably somewhere around six or seven on average. I think this probably sets him up to score around 15 or 16 mm-hmm. points a week, which again, for a guy like Patterson on your team, I think is absolutely tremendous. And that should be enough production to really help sustain your team. Uh, but mm-hmm. to your point and everything that you said, yeah, he's not going to finish inside the top six, but I still think that uh, he's a player to be really excited that you have. What I do think we need to point out is his running back schedule. The running back schedule that the Falcons face from here on out is pretty tough, man. It's one of the okay. tougher ones out there. But the thing is, he's a very different player than a lot of other running backs. So it's hard to really get a feel for if this schedule actually impacts him like it would another player. And I suppose you could make an argument that as a result of that, perhaps that makes it even harder for Davis. And as a result, the team needs to rely on him. So, you know, moral of the story here is I think that we, we more or less see a similar trajectory from him as the season moves along. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think Patterson is the exact kind of running back that the Falcons need right now. I don't think that Mike Davis is by, by any account, a, a great player in that offense right now. They, their offensive line is not good. And he just was kind of slow. Um, I, I know that one point that I had made earlier this season was Mike Davis had a tremendous start when he was finally the starter for uh, Carolina. He was not that great for the majority of the season though. I believe about 50% of his PPR points came over the first six weeks of the season, which means that for about 10 or 11 weeks, we were just getting dud games from Mike Davis. There was a period in time where he had like four or five straight games of like eight fantasy points per game. He was really not as great as we like to remember, which is fine when he's giving you points early on. That's really great. But I had Mike Davis. I was slotting him in my lineups, expecting that to carry over. And eventually I had to sit him because he was just not giving you the production that you looked for. And he became kind of a guy you were hoping would get points based off of volume. And it wasn't nearly as consistent over the long term portion of the season as it was in that very small window where he was just kind of getting going. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So Curtis and I talked about Amon Ra St. Brown earlier in the week. Uh, as somebody that's been paying attention to the waiver wire each week, um, are there, been. it does, what's that? I have been, I have been. Yes. As, uh, as it's most a requirement for my show, are. I was told. Yes. Uh, <laughs> are there any other young wide receivers you think will have more opportunity going forward in that by the end of the season, we might see being in lineups, you know, being useful, fantasy relevant guys that we should start to pay attention to, even if we're not adding them yet. Yeah. So I, I cheated on this question here for the show, but I also cheated on it for my recent episode of waiver wire rider. So I'm, I'm fine with saying this one here. Um, the easy one is going to be Ravens wide receiver for Rashad Bateman, who I was shocked to see was only rostered in like 29% of Yahoo leagues, which just feels way too low for, for a guy who we know is probably going to, at some point in time, be the wide receiver one or wide receiver two on a passing offense that looks much better than we thought it was going to look. Uh, Lamar Jackson just set the Ravens record for most passing yards in a game this past weekend against the Colts. I think he had 442 passing yards. That passing offense has been very good, especially at a time where they, you know, they have a, a, a museum of running backs right now in Baltimore between Le'Veon Bell, uh, Latavius Murray, and Dante Freeman. So uh, they needed something to step up. Lamar Jackson has stepped up. He's been tremendous passing the ball so far. Um, and Rashad Bateman is going to be back. He's probably available in a decent number of leagues if you're listening to this um so he's someone to look at like i said he's kind of a cheat um since we know that that's going to happen but i think overall this wide receiver class has been a little bit underwhelming outside of a hand 
handful of players. Jamar Chase obviously being the the player we all expect him to kind of be. Um, Jalen Waddle has seen a decent number of targets. I believe he's averaging about six or seven per game, maybe even eight. Um, but he just hasn't quite produced. We know that two is out right now. That's probably not helping things. Um, the, the other ones that have really surprised maybe Rondell Moore to a lesser extent. I think we all kind of expected him to be very solid and he's looked every bit as advertised whenever he gets a chance to get the ball in his hands. That catch that he made along the sideline this past weekend was just absurd. I can't believe that he, that he did what he did there. But the one who I think has surprised more people than not is Kadarius Tony of the New York Giants. Last week, he had 189 receiving yards against Dallas. He had a big game the week before against the Saints. I think that he's going to continue to do well going forward just because I don't know how you put someone who's done what he's done these first two weeks away after you've seen what he's been able to do. He stops on a dime. He's every bit as shifty as, as you would expect someone to be coming with the profile that he had. He was, you know, that's what he was known for was evading tackles in college. So um, I, I would expect people like that to have bigger roles going forward just because they've done so well in the limited opportunities that they have been given. If I was to point out at someone who I think has not done much of anything yet, but maybe uh, will later on down the road, it would definitely be Washington football team wide receiver, Diami Brown, who in terms of snap rate is the wide receiver two on the team. He has 72% snap that's only behind Terry McLaurin, yet he only has 14 targets on the season, which is third amongst wide receivers, and he's been very weirdly used. He's only caught 514 targets or 51 yards. That's certainly not good. Hopefully that gets a little bit better whenever Ryan Fitzpatrick returns. But then even last week when Curtis Samuel left with an injury, you would think that it might be Diami Brown or even uh, Adam Humphreys who somehow gets to uptick at targets. Instead, it was DeAndre Carter, their kick returner, who suddenly saw eight targets in a single game when Curtis Samuel left last week. So that was really strange to see as well. But um, I would think that Diami Brown, just based on the fact that he is on the field, will eventually fall into more targets later on. I don't know how he doesn't, um, unless he's just that bad that this four, 5 of 14 receptions this season is more of a reflection on him and his inability rather than the quarterback who's throwing him the ball. But uh, Diami Brown is who I'd be high on. I also wanted to see more of Elijah Moore. I'm not sure that we're going to get that this year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right. Fair enough. I'm, uh, I'm glad there that you gave us the Brown name. Um, cause that was a guy that I wasn't, uh, you know, didn't seem like an obvious one to come out. That is a really interesting breakdown with the usage though. So we'll have to continue to, to see how that tracks. Um, transitioning to tight ends here, uh, mm-hmm. As of week five, Dawson Knox and Dalton Schultz are averaging more points per game than Darren Waller. That's not likely to hold, but from a redraft perspective, if you were looking to make a move for a tight end, are Knox or Schultz the type of guys that you would consider going after? Uh, And then kind of related to that question at this point with the hot starts that they've had, how hard do you think it's going to be in a redraft league to acquire these from other, to acquire these tight ends from other players? So, yes, I mean, I, I would definitely go after both of these guys. Um, I, I know I mentioned each of them on recent episodes. I don't think I mentioned either of them this week, but I, I, I know Dalton Schultz was definitely on the week before that, um, which is he in particular is a player who I, I think I want in this offense only because of what we saw him do last year. Um, I'm sorry, not in this offense. I probably want other pass catchers in Dallas's offense above Dalton Schultz, but I also do like Dalton Schultz, just not quite as much as C.D. Lamb or Mari Cooper. Um, but Back to the question, Dalton Schultz, when it was the offseason and we were out here drafting teams, it never really made a lot of sense to me why Blake Jarwin had the ADP that he did, which is around the mid portions of the drafts, around like the 11th, 12th round. And then Dalton Schultz was borderline free. I mean, there were literally tons of drafts where Schultz was just going completely undrafted, which I never completely understood for a guy who had 89 targets last season for 63 catches, 615 yards, and four touchdowns. Schultz was a, a beast for the Cowboys who came on kind of unexpectedly. Blake Jarwin was lost in, I think, like one of the first few, few plays of the season for the Cowboys. And then Schultz comes in here and has a phenomenal season was one of the best fantasy tight ends last year. He finishes the overall tight end 11 in total fantasy points and is the overall tight end 15 in fantasy points per game at 9.3. So Schultz was great. And for drafters to think that just because Blake Jarwin is simply returning somehow means that Schultz is going to be relegated to nothing but a, a backup who's going to see an occasional target just felt wildly incorrect to me. So uh, Dalton Schultz is a player who I was targeting a lot at the end of my drafts, especially in FFPC drafts where I had the tight end premium scoring to kind of boost my my bottom line a little bit and hopefully get a few more points if Schultz ends up hitting. I was looking at Schultz a lot in drafts. I really thought that he was the proper play over Jarwin all along. Um, and now he has been. So it'd be kind of silly of me to back off now. Went through the first five weeks. He already has 26 catches for 280 yards and three touchdowns. He is the current tight end five in PPR per game at 14.4. I think it's hard to be confident in trusting that he's going to be able to sustain the level of production that he has, just knowing how many weapons are around him. But if he keeps on playing well and if Dak feels confident in throwing to him, I think at the very least in short yardage situations when Dallas just needs to move the chains to keep a drive alive, I think that Schultz has a lot of upside there. We'll probably see targets at the very least similar to that in that area of the field. And then I think that he's going to certainly be a, a red zone threat just as tight as to be, especially when the good pass catchers, which Schultz obviously is. So I like him. I also do love Dawson Knox. I think Dawson Knox this has been a long time coming. He's a super athletic tight end. His trouble was always catching the ball, which I heard that if you don't catch the ball, you don't score fantasy <laughs> points. So that can be difficult. Um, but I, I, I have no problem with either of them. I, th- I think that you have to understand that after about the top, three or four tight ends you're really just scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to find fantasy points wherever they may be so um, if you can get a guy like this even if they're averaging 10 fantasy points a game that's probably pretty good for a tight end most weeks i'd be looking to get either of them and they're they're both kind of tracking right now and doing a really great job with whatever they're being asked to do 
Yeah, you know, one of the th interesting things is going to be what the Cowboys offense does once Michael Gallup returns, because one could argue yeah. that some of what we've seen go the way of Schultz comes from the fact that one of their key pieces was taken out. Nonetheless, though, I think that it's pretty definitively him over Blake Jarwin at this point. Yeah, I, th I think last season, or I'm sorry, not last season. I think last week, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think that Jarwin saw a target last week. I, I'll pull it up here real quick. But I think like when I was looking it up um, earlier this week, I it's don't believe saving lives Jarwin even saw a target right here in last week against the Giants. Uh, yeah, he had zero targets. So if there was a if there was ever a time where you're looking to see that um, Dalton Schultz might definitely be the tight end in Dallas. This was the first uh, the first time all year where Dalton Schultz completely out-targeted Blake Jarwin. Jarwin had no targets. Another tight end who you didn't write down here, who I just want to mention really quickly yep. also, um, is David Njoku of the Cleveland Browns. What was also really interesting there is Njoku was the only tight end on Cleveland last week to also register a target. Neither Austin Hooper nor Harrison Bryant saw a target last week against the Chargers. Njoku saw all seven. He converted all seven of those targets in the receptions for some absurd number, like 140 receiving yards and a touchdown. Um, Hooper was still on the field. He was still seeing snaps, but the fact that he didn't see any targets in a game that scored over 40 points on both sides and Joku saw seven and caught all seven of those, I think is very telling. And Joku is still available in a lot of leagues. And I really like him going forward. He's another guy who I'd be trying to get if, if you're desperate for tight end, because he's, he's been solid early on in the season. Yeah. And between weeks, 12, and 16 so some key mm -hmm. weeks there he, he might just have we'll have to see you know as things start to adapt but it's looking like it's setting up for him to play maybe a top three easiest schedule amongst tight ends of course okay who knows how cleveland responds if they do take this as a signal that they should be using him as opposed to those other tight ends. Uh, but again, you know, this is a team where OBJ hasn't really been hitting the way that they've wanted. Mm -hmm. Landry has been out, should return at some point, but it's possible that we still see this usage continue. So I'm glad that you, uh, that you brought him up. So yeah. we are now, I think I might've used that sound effect before. I might've just broken my own rule and use the same sound effect no. twice an episode, but we're going to, we're going to move past that. Cause we won't I, tell them that we won't tell them that we'll edit this part out. Actually, that probably would have been the way to do it. <laughs> well, now you have to leave it. Yes. So yeah, you're figuring out this whole podcasting thing. Uh, talk to me about some players as we look ahead to the coming weekend that you're feeling really good about. Yeah. So, um, this one's this one's probably a little bit more obvious than than most, but Chargers wide receivers and Justin Herbert this weekend against the Ravens. The one thing that stood out to me, I was with some friends, we were watching the Ravens and Colts on Monday Night Football, is Anthony Averett starting cornerback for the Ravens. I don't think he's that great. Um, it was interesting. He just got obliterated by the Colts this past week, and it was shortly after his defensive coordinator had made a comment that he thought Anthony Averett was playing at a pro ball caliber level. The bad news for Anthony Averett is he really wasn't playing anybody in terms of wide receivers and or quarterback talent the first several weeks of the season. Obviously, you can kind of make the case that Patrick Mahomes isn't a nobody, and that's certainly true, but... 
outside of Tyree Kill, there's not really a legitimate wide receiver threat who's ever proven to do much of anything on a consistent basis. Or I could say that Anthony Averett was definitely locking somebody that down against the, the Chiefs. This past week, Anthony Averett allowed 184 receiving yards when targeted. He also allowed one touchdown, according to Pro Football Focus. I actually thought it was two touchdowns that he allowed. He was not credited for giving up a touchdown to Mo Ali Cox. I thought that that one was kind of on Averett as well. But nonetheless, 184 yards allowed and one touchdown is not good. And that was to the Colts and Carson Wentz. If, if the Colts and Carson Wentz can do that to you, I struggle to believe that Anthony Averett could hold either Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, or a mix thereof at bay with Justin Her- Herbert at quarterback. I really do like Chargers wide receivers and Justin Herbert this week. I think they're going to be in for another big week against the Ravens. Um, another player who I like is Khalil Herbert. Not long before we started recording this, Damian Williams had tested positive for COVID. It appears that he will probably miss this weekend against the Green Bay Packers. Even when Damian Williams was in the lineup last week, Herbert had 18 carries for 75 yards. The only thing that really kind of kept his fantasy day down was the fact that he didn't have a touchdown. That could all change this week against the Packers with him being in the lineup if he is the only running back who Chicago can really field. Um, still waiting a little bit more on Damian Williams' news, but it doesn't doesn't look good for him right now. Um and then any Bengals wide receiver against Detroit this weekend, uh, the, the Bengals have just been thrown at a tremendous rate. They've all been very solid wide receivers, in particular T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. I feel great about them. I feel great about Joe Burrow and the way he's been looking over these last couple of weeks as well. So those are just a couple of players who I really like. If I have them, I'm starting them. Um, Khalil Herbert, I'm super excited for, to be completely honest with you. I thought that he had a very nice final season um, in college. I believe it was at... He, he transferred to Virginia Tech. So, yeah, um, just another player who I like. I really am excited about Khalil Herbert against um, Green Bay this season. I think that he has a chance to really tote the rock in a big way for uh, the the Bears with, with Damian Williams likely being out. I'm very excited for him. Very shifty playmaker who had a final season at Virginia Tech in 2020 after he had transferred there from Kansas. Yeah, so one note to follow up on there. When you were talking about um, uh, Anthony Averett of the Ravens, Mm-hmm. on di- targets directly aimed at him this year. He surrendered 8.6 fantasy points per game, which for cornerbacks starts to move you up into the higher range of things. So I think that was good that you pointed that out. Uh, and like you said, this is setting up nicely in a game for the chargers. Uh, one thing that I want to throw out here is we've been waiting for a big game from Stefan Diggs now uh, all season. It feels like I think it could come with Buffalo facing Tennessee. Um, Mm -hmm. This looks like the defense to do it against. So they're going to have Janoris Jenkins and Chris Jackson likely sharing coverage on digs. That's a favorable matchup for him in both of those. So this is looking like the week uh, that we see the breakout digs game. Of course, I'm sure that you've heard that from number of people all season. Yeah, it's been the Stefan Diggs breakout game since week one. And since week f- as, as of now heading into week six, we're still waiting on it. I, I had actually looked up something for Diggs earlier in a previous article. I believe he only has one game this season, over 100 receiving yards. And then like every other game, he's had some variation of 60 receiving yards. So he's not gone like under 60 receiving yards in any game this season. But he's also gone only over 100 once and over 69 yards or less. Uh, one once as well, but the hundred yard game, I 
that that probably didn't make any sense what I just said, but essentially a bunch of 60 yard receiving games for Stefan Diggs and one 100 yard receiving game for Stefan Diggs. It's kind of been a little bit disappointing of a return early on for a wide receiver. We were taking in the first and second round of drafts this off season. Um, and then when you look at expected fantasy points, Diggs is the wide receiver eight and expected fantasy points. That's not really that bad. I mean, if he was actually returning wide receiver eight value, we'd be pretty happy with that. I think he's a borderline wide receiver three right now. He's, I, I don't have it in front of me. You can check me on that if you want to, but I, Diggs has not been that great early on, despite the fact that the volume has been there. He only has one touchdown on the season, um, but I think the bounce back week is the week against the Titans, hopefully. Um, the Titans are allowing 45.2 PPR per game to wide receivers, but they allowed over 50 PPR to New York Jets wide receivers. Obviously, we know the Jets are very talented. Um, <laughs> I can't say that for straight face. So, no, they are not very talented. Uh, they allowed over 50 points to the Jets wide receivers. They also allowed over 60 points to Arizona and Tennessee wide receivers. The Titans defense is not good. The Bills are high volume pass offense. They spread the ball around well. Dix has been getting the ball spread to him. He's just not really turned in the perfect game of yards with touchdown thrown in to have the big day for us. I think he's close. I think this is the, the day he probably gets off of it this week against Tennessee. It feels like an hour never game. It probably isn't, but it feels that way. Hopefully we can be a little bit more encouraged with Stefan Diggs going forward. Yeah, man, as you said, the expected points have been there. One of the things holding him down is at this point, just one receiving touchdown. You have yeah. Dawson Knox with five, Emmanuel Sanders with four, we're not going to say that all the touchdowns are going to go to digs from here on out, but you would expect that at some point that's going to start to normalize a little bit. You should get some touchdowns for digs, which will help to get him up closer to where his expected points are at right now. Yeah, man, though, you're spot on only one game that did not finish with him somewhere between 60 and 69 receiving yards this year has three games with double digit targets. I think digs will be fine. Only ranked 27th in PPR per game. Right now, I talked yeah. to a Curtis about it earlier in the week, though. I'm still expecting that we see him start to approximate what people were expecting as the season moves along. The other names that I'll call out here, uh, just one that I felt is worth mentioning, Jacoby Myers against Dallas. Myers should mm-hmm. see 70% of his routes from the slot. Dallas has really struggled in limiting fantasy points from the slot. They have three defenders that have taken significant coverage snaps against the slot and all three have been really favorable in direct points against. So I think Myers is one of those names you could look toward if you need a fill in this week, uh, especially we're in the first week with buys. So, you know, that starts to become, become something that people need to consider. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So uh, a couple things on Jacoby Myers. I, I, I like his play a lot. I like what he's done this year. Dave, do you have any idea where Jacoby Myers may be right now amongst wide receivers and targets and receptions. We'll just start there. If you just had to guess. Uh, it's probably somewhere around 15th. He is 10th in targets right now, and he's actually 7th in receptions. So wow. those are both very, very good right now. Jacoby Myers is basically the only pass catcher of, of note in New England right now. Certainly the tight ends are also very interesting plays, but they're continuing to be splitting a lot. The guy who's not getting much of a split at all and really commanding a lot of the targets amongst their position is Jacoby Myers. He's getting targeted 46 times on the season. That's over nine targets per game. Um, another really fun fact, Peter Rosette tweeted this out earlier this week. I've known about it before. Jacoby Myers career receiving touchdowns on well over 150 targets. We'll just say that I don't have the exact number in front of me. He has zero Dave, Dave, 
Jacoby Myers, you and I are all tied for receiving touchdowns <laughs> in our NFL careers. We all have zero. Um, now, this is not as surprising for us as is Jacoby Myers, who's actually seen an NFL target. But I think that there's a good chance that he might actually get off the schneid this week and get his first one. Even more fun fact with that trivia, Clavin, one more time, Clavin trivia. Jacoby Myers does have a passing touchdown in his career. That was to Cam Newton last season. Um, but Jacoby Myers has seen a lot of volume. He's everything that we would want in terms of kind of that slot wide receiver who we perceive as having the safe floor. If he can just find a way to get some touchdowns going at some point in time in his career, I think he's going to have a chance to be a very high upside wide receiver two, maybe even a low end wide receiver one on some weeks. He's already got two wide receiver two weeks on his resume for this season, um, which came in weeks three and four against the Saints and the Buccaneers. Uh, he's been great. I mean, Mac Jones loves targeting him. So I think that at some point in time, we're going to see kind of a perfect mixture of targets, receptions and touchdowns come together, maybe against the Cowboys as the week this gets done. Um, he's he's got to get in eventually. He, he, he got tackled on like the one yard line actually this past week against Houston it was it was kind of rough to see I was I was cheering him on but I think this week Jacoby can do it well to the point about the targets he's at 9.2 uh 9.2 targets per game the closest player on New England behind him is Nelson Aguilar at 5.4 and then Hunter Henry at 5.2 so he is more than doubling everybody else on the team so Jones definitely Mm -hmm. does like going his way perhaps this is the week Now, I know that I have veered off of football to some extent at moments in this podcast, but this question I'm about to ask you does bring the football back in. Granted, highly not applicable to anybody else here, but you seem to have become a huge fan of the Air Force Falcons over the last couple of months. (laughs) I want the origin story of this. Yeah, so Air Force Falcons fan, baby, big time. Uh, five and one team right now. Got a big game this coming week against the Boise State Broncos on the road at Boise State. I believe the Falcons are four point underdogs. But for those of you who don't know, I've actually been doing college football content for NBC Sports Edge for the season. I don't really have any real allegiances to a college football team, but I have enjoyed betting on the Falcons. I have enjoyed winning my bets on the Falcons, and I've enjoyed watching the Falcons. Uh, quarterback Casey Daniels currently has 680 rushing yards, 150 carries, six touchdowns. Um, I'm sorry, that's actually their fullback, Brad Roberts, who follows me on Twitter, by the way. Nice. Um, we're really tight. Uh, and then Hazy Daniels, just they run the ball. They, they, they run the ball with their wide receivers. At Air Force, the best thing about their wide receivers is wide receiver is actually a fancy term for um, running back with nice hands, I think, because their running back is third on the team and or their wide receiver is third on the team in rushing yards of 282. They're just kind of a fun team that is committed to the run way more than they probably should be. Uh, they smash, you know, smash mouth football. They're willing to go for a fourth down if they think the yardage is there. But then the other interesting thing about Air Force football aside from the fact of the way they play is that even though they play that way, they're also second in air yards per target with like, I think 13.9 air yards per target, despite the fact that they pretty much run the ball three out of four times. So um, it's, it's just been a kind of a fun football team to track. They got a nice defense. They've got a few upsets uh, on, on tap, I think for the back half of the season. So I've, I've really enjoyed watching air force Falcons football just because it's so unconventional compared to what we get in the NFL. And I just think it's been a lot of fun to kind of be able to watch something different and enjoy watching it. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we got a couple of future Baltimore Ravens on this team, given how much they like to run the ball. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I enjoy the in-depth breakdown. there. glad to hear that they're doing so well this season. I wish uh, you and the team the best of luck this weekend. Just if like they win, I got to enroll. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And I wish all of our listeners good luck this week. So once again, thanks for coming on, my friend. Why don't you just remind everybody where they can find you uh, and how they can reach you on Twitter, all that good stuff. Yeah, sure. You can definitely check out my podcast, The Waiver Wire Rider on Rotoviz Radio right here. It usually drops every Tuesday, sometime in the afternoon, early evening. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at ZK underscore FFB. Um, you can find my college content over on NBC Sports Edge. I do two articles twice a week. Um, I do two articles per week. I do a, a group five article where I cover a couple of teams. So I like the spread against them those weeks. And I also do um, a fantasy article over there, NBC Sports Edge as well. So definitely be sure to check all those things out and my uh weekly red zone report article over here at wrote this comes out every friday awesome all right great stuff so everybody as always good luck in your games this weekend and appreciate you hanging out with us Thank you for listening to the RotoViz Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Leave us a voicemail at 978 615 9214 and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.